Caldwell turned, and as he turned, his ankle received an arrow. The class burst into laughter. The pain scaled the slender core of his shin, whirled in the complexities of his knee, and swollen, broader, more thunderous, mounted into his bowels. His eyes were forced upward to the blackboard, where he had chalked the number five billion, the probable age and years of the universe. The laughter of the class, graduating from the first shrill bark of surprise into a deliberately aimed hooting, seemed to crowd against him to crush the privacy that he so much desired, a privacy in which he could be alone with his pain, gauging its strength, estimating its duration, inspecting its anatomy. The pain extended a feeler into his head and unfolded its wet wings along the walls of his thorax, so that he felt in his sudden scarlet blindness to be himself a large bird waking from sleep. The blackboard, milky slate smeared with the traces of last night's washing, clung to his consciousness like a membrane. The pain seemed to be displacing with its own hairy segments his heart and lungs. As its grip swelled in his throat, he felt he was holding his brain like a morsel on a platter high out of hungry reach. Several of the boys in their bright shirts, all colors of the rainbow, had risen upright at their desks, leering and baying at their teacher, cocking their muddy shoes on the folding seats. The confusion became unbearable. Caldwell limped to the door and shut it behind him on the furious festal noise. Out in the hall, the feather end of the arrow scraped on the floor with every step, the metallic scratch and stiff rustle mixed disagreeably. His stomach began to sway with nausea. The dim long walls of the ochre hall wavered. The classroom doors, inset with square numbered panes of frosted glass, seemed experimental panels immersed in an activated liquid, charged with children's voices chanting French, singing anthems, discussing problems of social science. Avez-vous une maison jolie? Oui, j'ai une maison très jolie. For amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, throughout our history, boys and girls, this was the voice of Folos, the federal government has grown in prestige, power, and authority, but we must not forget, boys and girls, that by origin we are a union of sovereign republics, the united God shed his grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood. The beautiful song was blindly persisting in Caldwell's brain. To shining sea, the old baloney. He had heard it first in Passaic. Since then how strange he had grown. His top half felt all afloat in a starry firmament of ideals and young voices singing. The rest of his self was heavily sunk in a swamp where it must eventually drown. Each time the feathers brushed the floor, the shaft worked in his wound. He tried to keep that leg from touching the floor, but the jagged clatter of the three remaining hooves sounded so loud he was afraid one of the doors would snap open, and another teacher emerged to bar his way. In this crisis his fellow teachers seemed herdsmen of terror, threatening to squeeze him back into the room with the students. His bowels weakly convulsed. On the glimmering varnished boards right in front of the trophy case with its hundred silver eyes, he deposited, without breaking stride, a steaming, dark, spreading cone. His great gray dappled flanks twitched with distaste. But like a figurehead on the prow of a foundering ship, his head and torso pressed forward. The faint watery blur above the side doors drew him on. Here at the far end of the hall, through windows exteriorly screened against vandalism, light from outdoors entered the school and, unable to spread in the viscid, varnished atmosphere, remained captured like water in oil above the entrance. 